Tuesday afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our weekly Bible study. We do this on Tuesdays and Thursday afternoons. I record them live on Facebook at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time, and then uh, post them, uh, of course, on my page after that, also on our West Irwin Church of Christ uh, Facebook page and uh, wonderful friends that are here in the church. Uh, make sure that that gets on our website as well, uh, westerwin.com, on our social media and resources uh, live stream page. And then you click down, scroll down to where it says uh, video archive, and you can find a whole bunch of lessons, uh, lessons that go back years actually. We've been here since 2015, so about five and a half years. And uh, uh, since 2016, I believe my lessons, uh, my sermons are on there and most of our worship services of over the last several months are on there as well. My Facebook Bible studies, which began actually when the pandemic shut everything down earlier this year. Um, and, uh, and my Wednesday night Bible class got canceled. And so it went from Wednesday night Bible class at church to Tuesday and Thursday Facebook studies. And uh, that's what we did with the Gospel of Matthew. And then over the summer, I kept that going. And we went through the book of Acts uh, this summer, which I think was a very, very helpful study for me. And I hope it was for you. And if you haven't uh, seen that, that might be a good thing for you to do and to go through those. Um, and then, of course, this fall, uh, we've been going through the Psalms, uh, looking at these uh, calls to worship and praise and um, that's been a real blessing for me. Psalms are a great encouragement, one of my favorite books, uh, and it is a, basically a prayer book. It's a song book. It's a, a wonderful, honest look into the hearts of honest worshipers, and, uh, and so we're continuing that study. Uh, this week, we've been looking at Psalms of Ascent, A-S-C-E-N-T, and today we're going to continue that study. Uh, but while I'm thinking about it, before I get too off track, I'm not sure that Eric and Cindy Mosley are watching, but if they are, happy birthday, Eric, uh, one of my dear, dear friends, a wonderful, faithful Christian couple and family, and they've helped so many young people through their work with schools through the years and in other areas, and um, they just one of those great families that I admire so very much. They've been very special to Joyce and me while we've been here in Tyler, Texas, and I appreciate them. I appreciate their kids. I uh, love both of them and their families. Um, they're just wonderful, Lindsay and Eric, and they're just um, great, great people. Great, great people. So happy birthday, Eric. And while we're talking about birthdays, uh, our oldest daughter, Amy, had a birthday last week on November the 5th. And so, uh, again, happy birthday, Amy. And um, also there is a birthday uh, tomorrow, and it is this lady right here. Uh, that would be my Joycey, and that's a great picture of her. And uh, so she, her birthday is tomorrow, November 13th. Um, I don't think that she was born on Friday the 13th, but it's Friday the 13th sometimes, and it's Friday the 13th this year. <laughs> so that's always fun for us. But Joycey is a... Uh, has a birthday tomorrow, so happy birthday to the love of my life, and what a great blessing uh, she is to me. Wow, I just can't imagine life without her, and we've been together, uh, met in seventh grade, Miss Lofton's homeroom English class, 
I think that was in the fall of 1969 in seventh grade in San Antonio at Dwight Junior High School. Some of you watching may uh, be may have memories of that. And then also um, uh, uh, went through junior high and high school together in the band and in a lot of our classes and a lot of eighth grade parties and other things like that. And, uh, and then we started dating our senior year of high school, a month after my mother passed away. And I've been together ever since. Uh, married for over 43 years as of uh, this year. And uh, uh, look forward to years and years more. Uh, so happy birthday, Joycey. And it looks like Eric and Cindy are with us. So I hope you heard this from the start. But if you didn't, happy birthday, Eric. Hope you have a great day today. And I appreciate you taking some time on your birthday to study God's word and study God's word with me. What a dear, dear friend uh, you both are. Um, so we are looking, as I said, at the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, why are they called the Psalms of Ascent? Well, if you missed the lesson on Tuesday, then you can go back and pick that up uh, later on. Uh, because it tells you a lot about the Psalms, a lot about these Psalms of Ascent in, in particular. And one of the reasons why they're called that is because uh, the temple was built in Jerusalem. In fact, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. And, uh, and, and Jerusalem was in the high country of Judea. Uh, Mount Zion we're familiar with, other mountains in the area. Uh, we looked at a Psalm, one of the Psalms of Ascent uh, last week, that's, that where we get this wonderful, terrific song uh, from as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. Uh, and so our song, Surround Us, Lord, is taken from uh, Psalm 125. And, uh, and, that, and, and it's true, the city of Jerusalem is surrounded by uh, mountains. And, uh, and so as pilgrims would travel uh, from various places within the kingdom, within Palestine, and surrounding areas, and they would go to Jerusalem for the special festivals or other types of worship, uh, then it was an ascent. They would be traveling up, and it was kind of symbolic of, of going up to the presence of God uh, in heaven, uh, but specifically in Jerusalem. And during the days, of course, of King Solomon, um, then there, were, there was the temple there in Jerusalem until the Babylonians came in and destroyed it, carried away most of the people into Babylonian captivity uh, in the latter, uh, in 586 BC, ultimately, but probably got started about 20 years before that. Um, and, and so the people would uh, travel to uh, Solomon's Grand Temple and worship. Uh, and, and as they did, you know, they would do what we do. <laughs> they would put in their favorite cassette. Well, maybe not their favorite cassette, not even live streaming or Pandora or a, um, a, a DVD or something. But they would uh, sing these songs of ascent. These were songs for the road. And so they would remember these psalms in particular. This was a collection uh, from Psalm 120 through 134. And these were the psalms that they would sing, uh, that they would read, that they would remember uh, as they were making their way uh, to Jerusalem for one of the festivals. Uh, and so we covered several of those last week, uh, or last Tuesday, rather, as I said, including uh, Psalm 125 and um, uh, Psalm 122 uh, that begins with that great call to worship. I was so glad when they said to me, let's go and join together with God's people and worship the Lord. Um, and others as well, we looked at last Tuesday. Today, I want us to look at five Psalms, uh, Psalms 130 through 134. And so, Bill, if you're going to cover Psalms, uh, five Psalms today, you best get with it. 
Um, so uh, here we go on Psalm 130, and it's a it reminds us a bit of the penitential psalms as we covered them earlier in this series. Psalms, for example, 51 and 32, when David cries out to the Lord for forgiveness in repentance and also in praise, uh, having experienced that forgiveness. So Psalm 130, out of the depths I cry to you, Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? Psalm 130, verse two, what an incredible statement that is. And the answer to the question, the rhetorical question that the psalmist asks is no one, no one could stand. If the Lord uh, kept a record of sins, no one could stand. And uh, the, the Old Testament Jews, they, they understood that uh, time of, of sinfulness and then penitence and forgiveness and sacrifice. Uh, the writer of Hebrews makes a big deal about that, that even in the Old Testament ways, there was uh, a blood sacrifice involved under the law of Moses, but it wasn't enough, as the writer of Hebrews makes very clear. And then in those great middle chapters, uh, uh, seven, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, um, the psalmist makes a great case about Jesus being our great high priest and Jesus himself being the great and ultimate sacrifice for sins. And as he says, Jesus died once for all. So that the answer to this question, does the Lord keep record of sins, is no, not, not since Jesus died and not since we put our faith and trust and hope in him and responded in faith, believing in him, confessing our sins, confessing our faith in him, uh, turning away from a life of sin, uh, that's repentance, and being baptized in the name of Christ uh, Jesus for forgiveness of those sins and to be buried with Christ and raised to live a new life, not a sinless life, but a faithful life. Um, and the psalmists, in their time, they they understood uh, what it meant. Even that great psalm that we mentioned, Psalm 32, starts out with David making a very similar statement to this, uh, saying, blessed are the ones whose sins the Lord has forgiven, not who's never sinned, but rather whose sins the Lord has forgiven. So again, uh, here in Psalm 130, we'll start with that verse that we just read, verse 3. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. What a great answer. Uh, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. What a great blessing, not only to, to receive God's forgiveness, but to be able to worship him and to be used by him in the service and ministry of the work of God. Verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. That, that anticipation of the presence of the Lord, the psalmist, as they were on their way, they, they were waiting to be in the presence of the Lord in a very physical way in the temple of Solomon and in the holy place and the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was that we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but the psalmist couldn't wait, and the and the psalmist also understood what it was like to wait for the Lord's deliverance and to wait for the Lord's forgiveness. And it's great anticipation, just as a watchman who has got night duty, he's got the graveyard shift, and uh, perhaps he's hearing something or perhaps he's worried that something's going to happen during the night. 
and he can't wait for the cover of daylight. He can't wait for um, that morning. And so the psalmist says, that's that's how I anticipate being with the Lord. I, I wait with hope, uh, but I wait like a watchman waits for the morning. Israel, verse 7, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Again, the answer to the question posed at the very beginning, who could stand if the Lord kept score with sins? And um, the psalmist says, uh, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. Know that there is redemption in the Lord. Great, great statement. And so that thought continues in Psalm 131. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. The heading says this is a psalm of, of David that David wrote, uh, and perhaps that's true. We've talked about the headings of these psalms a lot, likely accurate, but not necessarily because they're not inspired. Uh, but if this were a psalm of David, then it's, of course, one of those earliest of the psalms of ascents, and David writing it, anticipating the time when people would travel uh, to worship the Lord. And uh, whoever it is, it is someone who knew what it was like to humble themselves before the Lord. Uh, I don't approach God in pride. I don't approach God feeling um, that great about myself only because of my being created in the image of God and being saved by the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God himself. Those are the things that we glory in. And so we approach God with reverence, as the psalmist said in Psalm 130. Um, and, and we approach God with faith. We don't concern ourselves with things that are God's work. Um, as you've heard me say before in this series even, and as people around here at West Irwin Church of Christ have heard me say often, I've come to believe two things about God. I believe that he exists, and I believe that I'm not him. <laughs> and that's very liberating. Uh, but it's also very humbling. And so we choose to trust in the one who is greater than we are. Um, and that's what the psalmist says in verse 2. And he likens it, this wonderful, beautiful image of a mother with her newborn child uh, or a mother with a child who is now able to eat uh, on their own um, and, and is still taking great uh, solace and great comfort in being uh, in that presence uh, with that mother. And he says, I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. The psalmist understood contentment and had calmed himself. We he, have read in other psalms, um, uh, be still and know that I am God. And we can do that. Even though the craziness of the world around us continues, um, we can calm ourselves and we can quiet ourselves. Uh, because our, our trust is in the Lord, uh, not in ourselves, not in our nation, not in our politics, uh, not in anything, uh, but in the Lord. And so the, ver the Psalm 131 ends with this great call, Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. What a great, great call, just as Psalm 130 had shared that verse. Psalm 131 repeats it. And so now we go to Psalm 132, which is the longest of the Psalms of Ascent, uh, and it focuses on the temple. 
It focuses on King David uh, and his desire to build God a place. King David had built his palace, but he hadn't built a, a house for the Lord, and he felt very badly about that. And so Psalm 132 is that is a psalm that describes how he felt and and describes the blessing of having God's temple built there in Jerusalem, uh, there in the um, in the southern district of Judea, in the land of Israel, united in the days of King David and King Solomon and King Saul before them. Um, and so Psalm 131 speaks of the temple. And it reminds us of the time uh, from 2 Samuel uh, chapter 6 and 7, when David was able to bring the Ark of the Covenant uh, and the tabernacle to uh, the, the place where God intended to have his temple built. David would not build it. It would be his son Solomon. But David uh, provided a lot of money for it and, and provided the plans for it and looked forward by faith that his, his son, his heir, uh, who would follow him on the throne would be the one who would build that temple there. And and the spot was chosen. And how was that done? Well, in First Chronicles uh, chapters 21 and 22, we read about that. We read about the, David um, unwisely uh, trying to count the people. Why he did that, we don't know. Perhaps out of pride, just to count the fighting men and to count his money and to see what, bring in more money because when they did a census, then they collected taxes as well. And um, uh, nobody was happy with it, including his commander, Joab. But of course, he's the king, so they did it. And God was not happy with it. And God told David, okay, you choose your punishment. You know, you want to be, um, you want to have to suffer because of some cataclysmic uh, um, famine or uh, illness. Do you want to uh, suffer because of an enemy that I will bring against you, or do you want three days um, of uh, punishment from the Lord himself? And David said, I'll put my faith in my hands in the Lord, and God brought uh, a, a horrible, horrible punishment, not just on David, but on all the people. And David cried out to God and said, look, dear God, this is this is my doing. I did this. Please don't. These are just sheep. I'm the shepherd. I'm the one who is responsible uh, punish me, not them. And so God has that angel of death uh, stop. And uh, David has a vision of that angel uh, stopping at a certain place. And the place is in Jerusalem. And it's at the threshing floor of a man from uh, Jebusite from that area, from Jerusalem, a man by the name of Arauna. And David says, look, I want, I want to build an altar to the Lord here. Sell me your Sell me your threshing floor. And he says, oh, no, you're the king. You you take it, take it. And David says, no, no, no. I'm not going to offer to the Lord a sacrifice that doesn't cost me anything. Great lesson there. And uh, so they work it out, and David buys it, and he builds an altar to the Lord. And the Lord says in um, in, in uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 1, here is where the temple will be built, right here at this very special sacred spot. And that's how the temple ends up being built in Jerusalem. And this psalm, Psalm 132, is about all of that. Um, and so we'll read it. Psalm 132, Lord, remember David in all his self-denial. He swore an oath to the Lord. He made a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will allow no sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. 
Verse 6, we heard it in Ephratah. We came upon it in the fields of Jair. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool, saying, Arise, Lord, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May your priests be clothed with righteousness. May your faithful people sing for joy. When the Philistines had had enough of the ark, they released it, and it ended up uh, in uh, Ephratah. And uh, and it was it was being blessed. It was being blessed. And uh, uh, David and his people realized that, and so they wanted to bring it. And that's what they tried to do in 2 Samuel 6. But as you know from the story, uh, this man Uzzah wanted to try to touch the ark and steady it so that it wouldn't fall. And and God punished him and struck him dead right there. And it was a, it was a horrible thing for King David. And he said, okay, we're done. Let's Let's stop. But then the ones who kept it continued to be blessed. And finally, they said, let's bring the ark and let's celebrate. And that was a great celebration. Uh, in 2 Samuel 7, when they're bringing the ark uh, to the place where the temple ultimately would be built uh, by David's son, um, David celebrated with praise and dancing before the Lord. And his sister, as you know, was a little bit jealous of that. And, um, and David, yet David said, uh, or his wife rather, yet David said, you know, um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shame myself before the Lord uh, because uh, I don't deserve any of his blessings. Um, 2 Samuel 6 and 7, and also 1 Chronicles 21 and 22, the story of Arauna, all of the background for this great psalm. Verse 10, for the sake of your servant David, do not reject your anointed one. The Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath he will not revoke. One of your own descendants I will place on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and the statutes I teach them, then their sons will sit on your throne forever and ever. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling, saying, This is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. I will bless her with abundant provisions. Her poor I will satisfy with food. I will clothe her priests with salvation, and her faithful people will ever sing for joy. Here I will make a horn grow for David, a sign of strength, and set up a lamp for my anointed one. Remember, the anointed one is the king. Um, I will clothe his enemies with shame, but his head will be adorned with the radiant crown. And as we hear that term, anointed one, in the Hebrew Messiah and the Greek Christ, we realize that, yeah, there's a sense in which that applies to the king. He is anointed. We're going to read a, a psalm in just a little bit about um, the, the, how the priests also were anointed. Um, and, and so as we read these words, we remember that sometimes that's talking about the king. Sometimes it's looking ahead and talking to the ultimate anointed one, um, Jesus Christ himself. Uh, and so this psalm speaks in such beautiful language and anticipation as David, um, as the people remember uh, David's anticipation to build a temple for God and wanting desperately to do it, but not able to. And, and his son, King Solomon, actually fulfilling that promise of a son of David being placed on his throne and that son being the one to build that magnificent temple. What a glorious temple it was. And yet, because of the sin of the people in later years, uh, it would be destroyed. Uh, the, the temple itself not even lasting uh, 500 years. Uh, what a sad, sad commentary uh, on, on what is being celebrated here, knowing that one day it would be taken away. 
but for now, God promises strength, and he promises uh, strength to David's uh, descendants who would sit on that throne. And had they been faithful, God says they would continue to reign, but they ultimately, uh, in the days of the sons and grandson of Josiah, ultimately the Babylonians were brought in to punish God's people. Here there is a great song of praise uh, to the Lord for the opportunity uh, to go and to worship at his temple. Um, we have a, a great blessing. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that we, we can draw near to God everywhere. And, uh, and because of Jesus and his sacrifice, we can do that. And he talks about that special moment when we draw near to God with all of God's people in Hebrews 10, uh, the assembly of, of saints together, worshiping together of our Lord. Right now, we haven't been able to do that all together, and it breaks our hearts. And there are so many that can't do it yet because of safety concerns. And yet they're able to join just like we're doing right now. Having a Bible study online, we have our worship services online. Every Sunday morning at 10 a.m., they're live at westerwin.com on our uh, uh, live stream page under social media and other resources. And, uh, and then they're placed in the archives as well. Um, on Sunday nights at 6 p.m., I do a, a Bible study out of the book of Philippians right now. We just have a few more lessons left, uh, and, uh, and we share a bit from God's Word uh, then as well, um, right there also. Um, so opportunities abound for us to experience that same joy that the psalmists were experiencing as they sang uh, and remembered uh, through these songs of ascents. Uh, the very great blessing uh, that it would be to worship God uh, with other believers, with others of his people. And so now we go to Psalm 133. We have two more to go today, and we have a few minutes still. Uh, Psalm 133, um, it begins with this statement in verse 1, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And I have to smile when I read that verse. And if Todd Schultz is watching this or uh, some of my other dear friends from college days, uh, you know, you recognize that verse. Psalm 133 verse 1 was our motto of the club that we started in the fall of 1975, Alpha Gamma Omega, as we considered what, uh, what to call it, what letters to use. Uh, we settled on A-G-O, Alpha, Gamma, Omega, and that word in the Greek, A-G-O, um, is, is a special word that talks about being a leader. Uh, and I think that um, this psalm, uh, this verse, Psalm 133, verse 1, was our official motto. And in the old translation, how sweet and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. In the NIV, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And what a great blessing that is. What is it like? Well, in the words of the psalmist, he tells us, it is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, and that's significant, down on the collar of his robe. Aaron was the priestly tribe. Remember, Abraham and Sarah had Isaac. Isaac and Rebekah had uh, Jacob and Esau. Jacob was the son of promise. And Jacob had those wives and all those children. Well, one of those children, one of those sons was uh, Levi. And the tribe of Levi uh, became the tribe that uh, took care of the tabernacle. And then later on, a descendant of Levi, uh, Aaron, who was Moses' brother, 
uh, was called out uh, by Moses, by God, uh, to be the priestly tribe. And so in the days of Moses and Aaron and the tabernacle and deliverance from Egypt and wandering in the desert, uh, God gave Moses instructions to build the tabernacle, to build the Ark of the Covenant. And he also gave instructions on who would take care of it. And the Levites had duties, the descendants of Levi. But one of those descendants, Aaron himself, would become the high priest. And only descendants of Aaron would be priests from then on if they were to follow God's will. Uh, and so um, and so as the psalmist talks about this uh, oil running down on Aaron's beard, he's, he's uh, talking about the time when uh, Aaron or his sons or a descendant of theirs uh, was placed into the priesthood. Uh, that oil of anointing being poured on their head, running down through their beard. That is a joyous, great moment uh, for the people of God. Um, and so the psalmist says that's what it's like when God's people live together and serve together in unity. Uh, and then another image in verse three, it is as if the dew of Hermon, Mount Hermon, uh, north of uh, Jerusalem and uh, Judea, uh, Palestine. Um, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Um, that mountain, I think one of the tallest, if not the tallest in the area. And, and so having that wonderful heavy dew, uh, cool air, cool mountain air, and the psalmist says, boy, wouldn't that be great to be to have that. That, that blessing uh, is what it's like when brethren dwell together in unity. And we talk a lot about unity in the church these days, and rightly so. And it's important for us to remember that unity doesn't mean uniformity. Even in the days of the nation of Israel, there were 12 tribes, and those tribes were quite different. And at times they didn't get along, and at times they fought, and that's sad. But in the days of the church, uh, we're not uh, together because of our uniformity either. In fact, Scripture actually denies that thing and affirms the fact that we are different. Uh, Paul writes such beautiful messages about that, especially in, in uh, places like Ephesians chapter 4 and Philippians chapter 2, where he speaks of the unity of God's people, acknowledging uh, that we're different. He does the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and in the chapters uh, preceding it, uh, talking about our differences, talking about how we don't always all believe the same thing, uh, but we have believe enough of the core doctrines that uh, we can have a relationship in Christ and with each other. And so because of that, we strive for unity, not uniformity. And that's what makes it hard. Unity and diversity is harder than uniformity because we want everybody to be exactly like we are. But if that were the case, then the, the, the limitation would be great upon the service that the church could bring. We're different. We have different interests, different passions, different gifts because there are different chores and tasks that the church needs to be involved in. And so we, we don't judge others in their uh, work for the Lord. We praise God for it. And, and we uh, seek to find our place as well. And the role of the leader, as Ephesians 4 says, is to equip God's people through those gifts he has given, to equip God's people for works of service and ministry. But to do that in unity. Uh, to do that as a one body, maintaining the spirit of unity uh, through the bonds of peace. Um, 
the psalmist acknowledges that as they're on their way to worship together with their family through uh, the blessing of God. Uh, the psalmist says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. What a great, great statement. Psalm 133, verse 1. And then the last one of these Psalms of Ascent is Psalm 134. Uh, and perhaps this one was the one that they sang as they were arriving at the temple. It sure seems like it from the content, and you know how important that is. Um, and so he addresses it to the Levites and the priests that they see there in the temple as they arrive. And then he ends this section, this psalm and all of these psalms of ascent with a wonderful statement and call to worship to everyone, uh, all of God's people. Psalm 134, praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. The role of the worship leaders uh, to be joyful at uh, in leading God's people as worship leaders, we're mindful. First Corinthians 14 says we're mindful that we don't do things just because we like it. We do things because it's what the Lord wants and it's what will help and encourage the people. Um, and the psalmist uh, uh, affirms that same thing and calls on the priests and the Levites and the leaders of God's worship. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. But it's not just they who are worshiping. Psalm 134, verse 3. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who is the maker of heaven and earth. All are called, as we've seen throughout the Psalms, all are called to worship and praise the Lord, the creator, the maker of heaven and earth, and to worship uh, God and him only, and not worship any created thing, but rather worship simply the creator and sustainer of it all. Well, next week we're through with the Psalms of Ascent now. Next week we're going to um, uh, look at some uh, Psalms that talk about trusting and in, in, uh, in the Lord and being thankful for his blessings as Thanksgiving approaches. And one of the Psalms we'll look at on Tuesday is Psalm 73. Uh, and the psalmist says, when I tried to understand the difficulties and the sufferings in the world around me, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. And so we're going to look at that great psalm uh, next week, Psalm 73 and some others. Nothing makes sense without a relationship with God and with his people. Uh, that relationship is fostered in many ways, but it's fostered especially and uniquely when we gather together with God's people to worship. And these Psalms of Ascent celebrated that as they were anxiously uh, on their way uh, to the Temple of Solomon to worship the Lord with God's people together. They sang these great songs of hope and encouragement uh, and blessing and praise. Um, what a great thing. So just a few of those Psalms as we close today. Psalm 122, verse 1, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 125, verse 2, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. And then the last verse in these Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 134, verse 3, may the Lord bless you from Zion, who is the maker of heaven and earth. Amen.